raise your right hand. Do you solemnly swear to tell the truth, whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I want the truth! Why don't you answer him? Hey, it's Lee and Brad, and we are back with another episode of Objection, your fiction. Today, we are going to be discussing, I don't know if it's much loved, it was certainly critically revered, the 2009 George Clooney film, Up in the Air. <clears throat> that movie, This movie was not even on my radar until I ran into our esteemed guest in a subway station, no, the train station, Grand Central, and we discussed a good movie for him to come on and speak about. He suggested this movie. I hadn't seen it in 14 years. I probably will never see it again, but really happy to have Jeff Douglas here today. Um, Jeff is uh, a partner and co-chair of the labor and employment practice at King Kessler here in New York. He has extensive experience representing clients in a wide range of employment and traditional labor matters. He's going to talk about some really fun, juicy employment issues that crop up and up in the air. Jeff, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, guys. So before we get into the meat and potatoes of the movie, it's our favorite part of the podcast where Brad attempts to give a summary of up in the air in or about two minutes. So Brad, I know you're pretty nervous. Extraordinarily nervous. I'm going to fumble over this. Well, don't fumble too bad. You have two minutes. Connor is not here today, so I'm going to set the clock. And after two minutes, I'm going to stop you. So your two minutes to give the audience an update as to Up in the Air starts now. Okay. Two minutes. Uh, George Clooney works for a company that essentially outsources terminations. I think mostly mass layoff type things where he's on the road constantly or up in the air constantly. See what I did there, Lee? Um, You're wasting valuable time. He spends about 300 days a year on the road because what he does is he flies to really depressing middle American flyover cities. He walks in, he's got a list of 30 people that he needs to fire, but he does it in a way with, I guess there's a bit of a human touch and that's sort of his character. He 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 brings a, a, a certain um, nuance to it. He, he brings he brings a Clooney to it. He he brings you know he was pretty dreamy in this movie. Two thousand nine George Clooney. I feel like that has something to do with the accolades that this not particularly good movie received. Anyway, he gets <laughs> he's uh, at some point during the movie he's told you know what we're going to actually start doing this. And by the way, this is two thousand nine. We're going to start doing these remotely. It was this great innovation that this young Anna Kendrick employee came up with. I think she's supposed to be twenty three. We're going to start firing people by video. And this is not only directly at odds with George Clooney's quest to achieve 10 million miles by traveling around the country for work, but also uh, directly sort of um, uh, at odds with the the ethos that he brings to an otherwise pretty miserable um, job and career. We basically see him travel around with, with uh, I don't even remember her name, Natalie, I think. All the while, there's also sort of a concurrent love story that he's falling in love or, or at least having a little bit of a casual fling that starts to pick up some steam with Alex, who's a, another. You have 15 minutes, 15 seconds guy. left, by the way. Uh, anyway, I don't know. See the movie. It, I didn't really like it, but there were some good employment issues in there. 
So f- full disclosure, guys, when, when I saw Lee on the, the train platform and he proposed the idea of being on the podcast, this movie is the one that immediately came to mind, but I actually had never seen it before. I just knew it was kind of relevant. There were employment issues in it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if it was a good movie or not, but as an employment lawyer, I mean, we could talk forever about this. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a good movie. And we were talking we've about established that. We've established that it was a pretty mediocre movie. Right, we we were consensus. I think we were talking about before we came on. And my recollection of the movie was that it was really good, I guess, because like you said, Brad, George Clooney, it got some critical acclaim. I think it was nominated for a number of awards. But to me, it felt like a pretty thin movie. And actually... I thought the employment issues were pretty interesting and they could have dove into them a little bit more. Maybe that would have made for a more entertaining film. The 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 love story, personal story of Clooney, I wasn't that interested in. So that's where it's a good cast though, Lee, right? You're kind of a you're kind of a movie nerd. What do you think of the cast? There there was like it's one of those movies where a bunch of really cool actors that went on to do great things have like two to three minute roles. Right? I, before we get before we get into the law, I love the McBride cameo. Amazing. It's so good. He's a, when he's sitting by himself, <laughs> reading the kids' book. wedding off, reading the, the kids' book, and he's like acting like a child, asking Clooney for advice. I thought that was really good. That was, that was, that was my, like the Sam Elliott, the Sam Elliott cameo was probably the best. I guess that was supposed to be like a surprising climactic cameo, but I didn't. I think I stopped paying attention to that part of the movie. Actually, I couldn't. I couldn't remember which of those cameos for those actors were they famous yet or not. Like, how famous were they? Sam Elliott was definitely famous, but like, was Jason Bateman famous by that? I guess from Arrested Development. Arrested Development Development had already come out. Gallif, I think. I think The Hangover one had already come out. Yeah, so Galifianakis was famous. I'm not sure the McBride was. Maybe Eastbound and Down was around the same time. Anyway. We could talk about about character actors for a while, but why don't we get into the issues in this film? And I guess let's start with the company itself. Jason Bateman is, I guess, the CEO or president of this company that outsources. uh, That's basically an outsourcing company to fire people, to, to come into companies and do mass layoffs because the bosses of the companies themselves don't want to deal with it. They're scared, whatever. You know, they want to insulate themselves. So I didn't know about this. I don't know if it's real. I don't know, Jeff, if you've looked into this or heard of this before. Is this, a, is this something that's out there? And what are the, I guess, legal implications of using a company like this? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've never seen it used before. Um, there are pros and cons to it. You know, at the end of the day, having to lay people off is we always say, you know, termination is the capital punishment in the workplace. You know, there's nothing worse than that. Um, even when someone does something that really warrants like for cause termination, no one enjoys terminating someone. Um, and when I give advice to clients for these kinds of things, you know, the hardest part is always the person who has to actually tell the employee, especially when it's someone who works at the company, they know them, they know about their families. It's like the hardest thing to do. It's easy for me to sit, you know, and give advice and say, okay, you got to do this layoff. Here's the speech. Go do it. I don't have to do it. Um, So that's always a challenge. And things can go wrong. They do go wrong when, you know, employees of a company, supervisors, HR, 
are the ones to effectuate the termination. So the notion of bringing in a third party who has no emotional connection whatsoever to the employees who are about to be laid off, it makes sense. Um, but I think there are actually a lot of pitfalls that come with it. You know, the, the one thing that you didn't see, um, and maybe this could have filled up the second half instead of the awful love story, was George Clooney sitting in depositions. You know, when people, are, when former employees are suing because they didn't sign the severance agreements that were offered to them, they're claiming discrimination. You know, what did George Clooney say in those in those termination meetings? So he probably got a lot of frequent flyer miles going to depositions and to trials, but you didn't see that in the movie. Yeah, I guess the script that he uses would be very often circulated in discovery in many, many employment uh, discrimination cases, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's one of the things that we typically draft for our clients, you know, when we're preparing them to do mass layoffs like this, you know, we prepare the script because it's really easy for the person effectuating the termination to go off script because, you know, most of us are people and feel bad when we have to do these kinds of things. Um, you know, I guess unless you're George Clooney and he doesn't feel bad. Um, well, I think he feels, I think he feels I bad. I think he does feel bad. No, he definitely does. Um but at the same time, it's easy to go off script and say things you're not supposed to say. Um, and I know we're going to talk a little bit later about what you should say and what you shouldn't say. Um, but there well, are points that. What's the danger of going off script? I mean, I guess these, it seemed to me, were mass layoffs. These seemed to me, you used the word for cause a minute ago. Yeah. These to me seemed like downsizing, reduction in force type things where you're not really terminating someone for any reason except the company no longer needs them, which I assume in the absence of a contract or something that prevents that is fine, right? Yeah. It, you know, the default rule throughout the U.S. is that our empl employees are at will. You can fire them for a good reason, bad reason, no reason, made up reason. It just can't be an unlawful reason. Um so well, is the danger really, of going, the danger is that he says something that could be construed as you're being terminated for a not good reason? Yeah. So, you know, what ends up happening is say you have 100 employees, for example, and business is going really poorly. You have to cut the headcount by a third. I'm just making this up. Right. right. Mm -hmm. well, how do you decide which third? Right. You have to have a you're going to have a reason as to why each one of those specific people were chosen. It might be they've been there for six months. It might be they're underperforming. It might be they were already on a performance improvement plan. Um, could be a number of reasons. But typically, there is a reason why that specific person is included in the list of people to be terminated. Oh, so okay. even though it's in the broader context of you know a mass layoff, there's still a reason why that individual person is picked. So you're finding call. Ah, that's interesting. It's it's an otherwise not for cause situation, but you're finding some cause to put these people in the unlucky bucket. Yeah, the way I would describe it is you're you're finding a legitimate, hopefully non discriminatory reason for including them in the list. We're now going off a little bit of our script here, but but this raises a, a, an interesting point for me. I would imagine in the mass layoff context, the first thing that a group of employees who are all terminated at the same time together is they get together and talk about whether they should hire a lawyer, right? So you would think in this exact situation um, it, it is exactly kind of when they're going to group together and compare notes and figure out who got fired, right? Yeah, it's, and it's a great point. And, and that's one of the strategic 
decisions that has to be made in advance by the company, which is how much severance are we going to offer people so that way they don't have that conversation? You know, how much money is just enough money to get them to sign a release so we don't have to deal with that? Yeah. Now, if you give too little money, the, the former employees are going to get together and they're going to talk about those things and say, this is ridiculous, you know? You know, they terminated us because whatever protected reason, um, we're going to band together and you could file a class action or something. Um, so that's kind of the, the strategic aspect that goes into the planning of this is to avoid that exact scenario. In the movie, Natalie is reluctant to give the severance figure out loud. She wants them to go into the booklet to read it. I guess it's part of the script. Is there, does that ring true? It seems to me, as someone who doesn't do this, doesn't advise on this very often, that um, you'd kind of want, if the number is good, which it was in this case, you'd want to bring the number up in person, not them have them go back to their desk and read it. But I, I don't know if that's an accurate representation of what happens in the real world or not. Yeah, it, you know, in my experience, like I've seen, I've seen companies who are really generous and, in my opinion, do a really great job when they're doing layoffs. I've seen companies that are really stingy. So, you know, to me, if a company's what, what are some of the stingy companies, Jeff? Let's get into it. Yeah, right. right, right. <laughs> Look, I mean, I've seen I've seen companies do layoffs on December first and give three weeks severance. You know, yeah. people are going into Christmas with no money. It's pretty hard. You know, flip side of the same exact time that was done, I've seen companies give three months severance. You know, plus you know, assistance for finding a new job for six months and extending health insurance benefits for six months. So that way, you know, they're doing exactly what George Clooney's talking about, which is taking them into the next, into the future, into their next phase of life and, you know, getting them there. So to me, if, you know, if a company is taking that second approach and being generous, yeah, highlight it in that meeting, you know, say, look, we're giving you three months, you know, we want to help you. Um, but if you're not giving them anything good, nothing good's from telling them, hey, we're giving you a week. You've been here for 30 years. You know, the person's going to they're going to pull a Galifianakis and they're going to go absolutely nuts. You know, they're going to be pouring bleach in the coffee. Um, so, you know, that that that's the example of when you say, OK, it's in the packet. Right. I've got a question, Jeff, and I know we're, we're sort of. Diverging from the movie a bit, but while we're on the topic, you know, so I'll tie it back to the movie. If I, George Clooney's there, is it? Is it acceptable if his character says, you know, here's the right, here's the packet, here's the severance, you've got till the end of the day to sign it? Are those types of approaches, you know, we've looked at, we, we've, we've handled a few severance situations. I've never seen it in practice. Normally it's like, oh, you, you know, hey, let us know if this is acceptable by Friday or we'll give you a week. And, they, and that even feels short a lot of the time if you're on the employee side. Can, yeah, is it acceptable? I mean... Could the person say it was, I was under duress, I needed, I know there are certain claims, not to get too, I know this is probably the world you live in, right? There's certain claims you can't release without a certain amount of time, I think age claims, but yep. other than that, can you give someone a severance agreement and say, we're really sorry you're being let go, it's not your fault, the company's downsizing, you've got till, you've got four hours to sign this. Brad, he told you it was a great question. You didn't need to go on and on with the question. I, I just, okay. Lee, and I, Lee and I know a little bit about duress claims, considering we litigated a case Ew. against each other for about a year about it. So, all right, um, softball no, but, question. Then. Yeah, no, Brad, it's a great question. And what's actually really interesting is, you know, 
in the typical age scenario, when you're when you're terminating an, an employee who's over the age of 40 under the Older Workers Benefit Protection Act, you typically have to give them 21 days to review um, a se- separation agreement, and then they have seven days to revoke. However, if you're doing a mass layoff where at least two employees are over the age of 40, you actually have to give them 45 days to review it. Um, you also have to provide them with a whole list of the ages of the people in the decisional unit who were laid off, who was retained. But talking about people who are under the age of 40, you know, we always want to avoid duress claims. You know, think about like one of the worst scenarios of your life, right? If you're a parent, if you're a spouse, if you're just took out a mortgage, losing your job's a pretty traumatic experience. And so you don't want to say, hey, you have to sign this by the end of the day. I always like to give time, whether it's a week, 14 days, you know, sometimes include a revocation period. So that way, down the line, there, there's really no viable claim of duress. Uh, at the end of the day, what the employer wants is a, an enforceable release. So that way they can go through this process and not have to worry about being sued in the future. They don't give a timing in the movie about when to sign it, right? They just say you need to clear no. your desk by the end of the day. Yeah, they, that's what they say. You know, it was really interesting for me because especially in that scene when when Natalie's terminating in Detroit and terminating the, uh, I forgot what his name was, but he, she keeps saying his name. Um, the guy who's on the other side of the wall. Yeah, who's in the other room, but they're doing it on the computer, you know. And you look down at her list, you know. There were a lot of people on that list. There were clear warn act, you know, requirements there. So, you know, do, are they giving sixty days notice? Are they paying for those sixty days from the date of informing them about the termination? You know, are they complying with all of those things? Um, so yeah, is, is, is that something that you have to say during the actual termination itself, or? It, would it have to just be in the materials provided? To- yeah, it would be in the materials. You could say it, but it would be in the materials. But, you know, sometimes it's easier to just say, hey, look at the materials, you know, and, you know, what was a folder in 2009 when this movie was made is pretty much now a website. A lot of times companies will put up a website for the employees who have been laid off, kind of just like a resource for them. Um, obviously, it won't have the individual, you know, set, set, uh, severance agreements and stuff like that. Um yeah, it's okay to say like, hey, everything you need to know is in the packet. Um, take a look. You have any questions, get back to us. And by us, I don't think it would be George Clooney and Alex, right? I think it would be the employer. Do companies usually choose their best looking man to terminate people? Is that part of the... the- yeah, as long as they're addressed in Brooks Brothers stuff, you know, there was a nice ad in the movie for Brooks Brothers, basically. Um, and Hertz, that had to be a paid product placement. Oh, for sure. It was so obvious. Hey, you forgot to give us your Hertz gold member number. Hilton also, American Airlines. Yeah. Um, we we touched briefly on the script, you know, and we're gonna um, we're gonna listen right now to to uh, Clooney give the script to Galifianakis. Did, did I do something wrong? I mean, is there something I can do differently here? This is not an assessment of your productivity. You gotta try not to take this personally. Steven, I want you to review this pack. Take it seriously. I think you're gonna find a lot of good answers in here. I'm sure this is gonna be very helpful. A packet. Thank you. Um, packet. 
Well, anybody who ever built an empire or changed the world said where you are right now. And it's because they sat there they were able to do it. That's the truth. I'm gonna need your key card. Great, okay. Now, would you take the day, go get together your personal things, and then tomorrow, you get yourself some exercise. You go out for a jog, you give yourself some routines, and pretty soon you find your legs. How do I get in touch with you? Don't worry, we'll be in touch with you soon. This is just the beginning. Okay, so you just heard the script. Uh, anything, anything in there that jumped out to you as right, wrong, damaging, troubling? He didn't really say much, right? You know, so sometimes less is more. Um, I don't think he did any real damage. Um, he didn't give a reason. He, you know, he's just you're terminated, basically. You know, everything you need's in the packet, and and that's it. Um, so I don't think anything in the script is wrong per se. It's more a question of the, what are best practices? So, you know, do you give a reason? Do you not give a reason? You know, a reason could be as much as, look, the company's doing really poorly. You saw the numbers, you know, we announced numbers two weeks ago. You saw that they were bad. You know, unfortunately, this is just what we had to, you know, we had to do. There are kind of two philosophies on how to effectuate a termination and what to say. The first approach is, don't give a reason at all. The second is give a reason. So personally, I subscribe to the second approach. Um, I've seen too many litigations where the plaintiff alleges I was not given a reason, but it turns out there was a reason. And then it looks like the employer made it up after the fact. So I like to give a reason. I like my clients to have written communications internally in advance of effectuating the termination that give those reasons so that way they are discoverable yeah um and that way we can show look this was the reason we may not have told you what the reason is although i like my clients to do that um but that way it avoids that really gray area where there are issues of fact later on in litigation i think here uh multiple times they say it's not productivity based so they're actually like striking out one of the possible reasons but then they don't give a reason. They just say it's, yeah. not, it's not based on your productivity. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I didn't love that because... Yeah, that's not good. That leaves open... No. The, that's like, oh, well, are you terminating me because of some improper reason, right? Yeah. And at some point down the line, you know, the, the employer may need to say, you know, what we were talking about earlier, yeah, we picked a third of the company because you were our worst performers, you know? Yeah. yeah. Now, now we're contradicting ourselves. It's not productivity-based. Like just because you're too old. That's why we're firing you. It's like they're trying to make the employee feel better, right? Yeah. By saying it's not, it's not you. We just can't afford you anymore. But yeah, it's not you. It's me. You know, it's the classic they're, breakup. Yeah, they're setting themselves up to look jaded, yeah. right? But if that employee doesn't sign the, the severance agreement, they may have claims. What about the? Um, at a certain point, I forgot whether it's it's George Clooney or Natalie who says. We don't use the word fired. We never say fired. Is there any significance to that? I think that because they're doing layoffs, which are not really like for cause, they're not dealing with misconduct issues. They're trying to soften the blow. I think fire has a really negative connotation. Um, it's a word that is incendiary. And at the end of the day, companies are trying to avoid litigation. 
Now, there are maybe instances where you do use the word fire. For example, if I have an employee who's stealing from me and I call him out on it, yeah, I'm going to be like, you're fired. You know, you are genuinely fired. You engage in gross misconduct. Um, let's not sugarcoat what's going on here. If that, if that is the case, do you then, um, like, would you do it the George Clooney way? The George Clooney way, it was kind of verbal, right? If there was a good reason and it was for cause you're stealing, you're embezzling money, would you have George Clooney go in there and say, hey, here you go. Here's a letter document. I'm here to let you know you're terminated for cause. Here's a letter dated today. Is that the better, Definitely. Is that the better practice? Definitely. There's an expression where we say, you got to paper the file, you know? Yeah. You have to make sure that you have a written record of whatever event relates to the termination, but things leading up to that, for example, warnings that happened in the past, coachings, counseling, performance improvement plans. You know, we always, as, as the lawyers representing employers, the best thing we can have if we're in litigation is a personnel file that accurately, contemporaneously shows us the empl true employment history of the employee, you know? Do they have a tardiness issue, absenteeism issue? Um, so uh, we love paper, and yeah, we always do that. I had an, I had a boss once who, you know, we we would do these termination notices, and he would always say, you know, what's not on here? A place for an employee statement. Some of these forms that you know, some of the other, I don't know, the payroll companies put out, they have space for an, an employee statement. Like, why on earth would we want an employee statement on a piece of? potential evidence. He would always say to employees, his line to employees, when they would ask about, I want to make a statement, he would always say, great, go home, buy yourself a marble notebook. You can write all you want in the marble notebook. We're not interested. Now, and those are, those are really only for, you know, terminations for true misconduct. Yeah. I was going to say that's not exactly handholding. Yeah. That's the opposite of the George Clooney effect. <laughs> <laughs> I would have liked to see Clooney do one of those really difficult terminations, though, with somebody who was stealing. That would have been fun. That would have been a little, a little meaty. Maybe we're, maybe we're, we're carving out a path for up in the air too. Without the love story, hopefully. Well, you know now. Um, and Alex is divorced in the second one and looking for love. Well, I was going to say Natalie now is older, maybe age appropriate enough to, to rekindle some affection for, for George Clooney. Maybe not. Yeah, it was um, better than like Pitch Perfect too, you know? Yeah, I never saw that one. We can do that one next. Yeah. So I, I had a couple more things on, on my checklist of things that I wanted to go through today. And I guess the next one is the, kind of the heart of the movie, which is the, the remote terminations. I would imagine this has become more commonplace since COVID. I would imagine that it was happening during COVID very frequently. Companies were downsizing and they weren't meeting in person. So I'm sure this was happening widespread. I guess I'm kind of curious to hear about that a little bit. You know, what, what was taking place during that period of time? Has it, has it continued through today? And then we could talk a little bit about how it's actually done in the movie. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely seen, I mean, number one, we've seen a lot more re remote workforces. So unless a company is willing to start flying people around, they're not going to, they're going to do it via Zoom. Also, you have to remember, companies want to effectuate mass layoffs very rapidly. Um, they don't want employees talking to each other. Um, so there are, you know, there are concerns that come up with Zoom. For example, is it being recorded? Who else is in the room? 
Um, you know, what do you do about shutting off the former, now former employees' access to email? What about company property? All of these things that weren't a concern when you used to do these things in person are now issues that take place remotely. Um, you have to be concerned about recording, for example. In some states, you have, um, you know, one-party consent rules about recording. In some states, you have two-party consent rules. Um, those are the big issues. Otherwise, I kind of view it as, you know, business as usual when it comes to that. So much of what we do now is done remotely um, that we've just kind of had to adapt, and it's very common. I can tell you in March and April of 2020, um, companies were doing tons of layoffs over over Zoom because you didn't have a choice. People couldn't be with each other. And I think because companies were able to do that so effectively during that time, it's kind of just become the norm. Is, is your advice typically, um, I don't want you to give your advice, but do you have a preference as to in-person versus Zoom if, if all things being equal? I think it depends on the nature of the workforce. You know, if you have a relatively spread out workforce, I think it makes sense to do it over Zoom. Um, I think if you have people coming to an office, you have to know your workforce. You know, are there certain people who are going to cause a commotion? Because you have to remember, the first time someone comes into that conference room and gets terminated, they're going out and they're going to say to everyone, guys, you're all getting fired. You know, so there's a, almost a way to control the narrative by doing it over Zoom. It does lose some of that personal component. But I think the other thing to factor in is the employee's perspective on it. If you're an employee, would you rather be terminated at your place of work where all your colleagues are and essentially have to do a walk of shame out of the office? Or would you rather be at home? You don't have to face your coworkers. There's less embarrassment. So I think there's something to be said for doing it over Zoom for both the employer and the employee. Yeah, here the difference was they were still in the office. Yeah, that the, was bonkers. That made no sense. What's like? I was like, the dude is just going to walk out and see you in the conference room. He's going to feel even worse about it. He's going to say, this person was here and didn't even have the courage to come into the same conference room as me. That guy's going to feel terrible. It was just to save the outsource. I thought that was a baller move. I was really into that, that scene. The only thing she didn't do is wave to him, you know? I think it was frosted glass. Was it? I, I was trying to figure it out. I was like, doesn't he see her? Maybe it was a, a one-way mirror. One because it was a police station, right? Wasn't it? It looked like a, there, were, there were cops all over the place. I just assumed that was security. I didn't know. I thought it was because I thought it was in Detroit, right? I thought it was like Motor City stuff. Maybe. I guess yeah. so. Um, yeah. So I will, well, what I was saying was, that, that was particularly egregious, but in this particular example, they almost set up like a call center of terminators yeah. and the employees were in their office and you would sit down and somebody was, was there firing you. I mean, what about the notion, and this is kind of coming back to our first conversation about uh, using a remote, um, a remote team or an outsourced team to, to terminate. What about getting terminated by somebody you've never met before or never seen before? Is there any legal significance to that? I mean, there's certainly practical significance to it. 
it makes things, I don't know whether it makes things better or worse. I guess it depends on the person. But what, what did you think about that piece? From a purely legal perspective, I don't think it really makes too much of a difference. Um, you know, the big thing is how much does it cost for the company to do that? And is it worth it? You know, like, I guess my view on it was like, why spend all that money to have someone else come in to essentially read a script that any HR person should be able to do? So it just, it doesn't make sense to me, you know, especially when you add in the fact that now you may have to pay for this person's time if they get deposed and they're going to have to come back if there's litigation because they're a witness. Um, I guess my general view is I can't understand the benefits of it. And, it's and able to do it. And thinking that through, and they have no real like loyalty to your company. So you're not having someone testifying in the best interests of your company. They're testifying yeah. in the best interests of this outsourced company that wants to protect themselves. Right. That does create another complications. Yeah. You know, the other thing to factor in is for a lot of those meetings before Natalie, you know, joins uh, Ryan on the road, he's doing these stuff, all these meetings alone. There's no witness in there. You know, the employee can say, he told me all these reasons as to why I was being terminated. And then it's, you know, Ryan's word against the former employee's word. So that's why we always advise, you know, two people present. You have to have a witness. And and he admits in the movie that he's lying to them because he tells them, I'm going to be in touch with you about other opportunities. Yeah. And then the very next line it's is a whole bunch of BS, you know, never talking to this person again. Right. You know, and the, the other thing to, and you know, I know we were going to talk about this a little later, but, you know, when Ryan and Natalie are terminating the woman who eventually, you know, commits suicide, you know, I have no idea if they told the company that that was going to have the employer that that she said those things. Um, they have no, they essentially say like, ah, this happens all the time. Like they have no loyalty to the employer. Um, and that could be a huge problem because maybe the employer was on notice that this person had mental health issues. So to me, the, the negatives outweigh the positives of outsourcing it. Yeah, let's. I guess let's talk about the one, the woman now. Um, I would imagine that this happens all the time, right? Where someone makes threats that they're going to kill themselves, they're going to hurt somebody else, they're going to come kill their boss, they're going to burn the place down. So, how should employers be dealing with that? Obviously. Uh, Ryan and Natalie handled this very poorly, but um, what what's the right way to handle it? Yeah, so it really it really depends on the context, right? So, for example, you know the scenario in the movie. You know, first thing should have been reported to the employer because maybe the employer knew that she had mental health issues. Um, the employer then could have you know, engaged with her, even though they were still going to terminate her, they could have gotten her into some sort of, you know, employee assistance program. They could have gotten her some, you know, additional um, help in terms of her job search, things like that to help her along the way. Like at the end of the day, can, can they control what she's ultimately going to do? No, but they could take affirmative steps to show that they tried to help her. Yeah. I mean, it seems like this particular instance would have Ended that company immediately. <laughs> immediately, <laughs> you know. I mean, I can't imagine that conversation between the employer and you know George Clooney's company. You know, I mean, you even saw it, where Jason Bateman goes in. Did she say anything about it? 
you know, the fact that they that they didn't report that to the employer is kind of shocking, right? But that never would have been an issue if the employer was present. Yeah, and you would think that George Clooney would also have to like issue reports of how things went to yeah. the company after they happened. He just kind of comes in, reads his script, and leaves. Yeah, it's like, like pretty- thing with Natalie, she just crosses the name off the list and moves to the next one. Right. So I would imagine that uh, if this happened, have you been involved in lawsuits like this? Or no, no, I've never had that kind of issue come up. Yeah. But I would imagine the company itself, if it didn't do anything, so one, it either was negligent and who would hire it to, to terminate because they didn't properly oversee the actual termination or they did find out about it and didn't take any steps to deal with it. So it seems to me as if this was, this is a company ender for both George Clooney's company and for the company that he was working for. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, the press alone would be bad enough to end these companies. And, you know, I'm sure there would be litigation. I don't know. I don't know if there would ultimately be liability. I was just going to say that. I, I don't see that there's necessarily a claim there, but the but the reputational harm would be yeah. terrible, yeah. right? Remember, remember that guy? I was looking him up before. Vishal Garg from Better.com. Yeah, that was remember when he terminated like 900 people yeah. on the Zoom and he was just like, hey, guys, by the way, you're all fired if you're on this Zoom. Remember what happened to that company? Stock plummeted. They sent him to like some sensitivity training for a bunch of months and he turned out it didn't work. Um, that's, that's, kind of what happened. that's kind of what happened in Succession. Did you watch the last season of Succession? I didn't. I watched the first season, then realized there's not a single good person on that show, and I couldn't keep watching. That's why you have to keep watching, and that's why Lee loves it. I only like shows about terrible people. <laughs> so I felt with Mad Men. I think I got to the last season, and I was just like, they're all terrible people. I can't watch this. Who wants to watch good people? That's not very interesting. Ted Lasso guy, you know? I was going to say, Lee, you liked Ted Lasso, didn't you? Yeah, it got a little, eh. got a little tedious. A little too wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what Clooney's doing at the end. He's not taking Natalie's advice to travel somewhere. He's fleeing the country to avoid a massive. <laughs> it's a good move. No personal jurisdiction, I guess, you know? Well, uh, we, we covered a lot. This is actually like a really informative conversation for, I think, for employers and employees. Um, and maybe fans of this movie, although I don't know there are that many. Anything we miss, anything that, that you thought about when we were watching it that um, should be covered? You know, it's funny. There were, there were two other big issues. I don't think we need to go into incredible detail. You know, clearly the, uh, the sexual harassment stuff between, you know, George Clooney's character and Anna Kendrick's about, you know, the, the next morning. That's a whole other thing. I can't say how many cases I've had dealing with that kind of stuff. But the yeah. one thing that was bothering me, and I, I Googled it this morning, I'm not a tax attorney. But I was like, why are those miles his? Why, why don't they belong to the employer? You know, so actually really interesting tax questions about the frequent flyer miles. It, it felt like he was paying for everything himself for some reason. And then he mentions at a certain point that I want to, every dollar that I pay for, pay i want i want to be tied to my orders like those four four dishes for dinner you know yeah and so i wonder if he pays for it himself and then he seeks reimbursement i think that seems like what that seems like what's going on there yeah 
So I was reading this like all, you all just blew the lid there. on probably a very common uh, Jeff, very common corporate practice. I have to imagine nice for your plaintiff's practice. You know, I'm just feeding you ideas. We got we have, we have to revisit this movie through the eyes of a of like an IRS investigation into points fixing credit cards. I, let's be clear. I don't think any of us are watching this movie ever again. <laughs> I'm actually going to get off this, this podcast and watch it immediately through that lens. I'm really excited to do it. <laughs> well, uh, we, we typically end these with on a scale of one to 10, how, how realistic do you think this was uh, in terms of let's, let's assume for a second that this outsourced, company is legit that it, that it exists in terms of how they approach mass layoffs terminations the pamphlet all of it how realistic one to ten we won't hold you to it i think it's like a seven i think i think the fact that they're handing them a pamphlet at the end i don't think it's like a brochure for a vacation in the bahamas i think it has all the legal documents that you know we were kind of talking about all that work that goes in in advance um, I think was done. And so I think that component, you know, all the work that leads up to, and it's a lot of work that goes into, you know, preparing for a mass layoff. I think you're just seeing a, a, a snippet at the end of it. But I think what that snippet represents is pretty accurate as we thought, you know, there's the build up to it. So I think it's pretty accurate. All right. Well, I think, I think right now it's the leader in the clubhouse out the seven. That's pretty good. So Jeff, um, really appreciate doing this. This is a great conversation. A uh, lot of really interesting stuff. And also we, we outlined a roadmap for up in the air too. So we'll contact, we'll take care of contacting George Clooney about that. And we'll get Perfect. back I'll to, talk to the studios. Okay. We'll let you know what he says. And either way, we're not going to give you any credit for it. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. And um, we'll talk again real soon. Guys, thanks for having me. For more on all things real estate and the law, subscribe to this and our other podcasts. Follow Bergstein, Flynn, Knowlton, and Polina on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and go to bfklawoffice.com. That's bfklawoffice.com to learn more.